praise team. And for our kids that are staying here and here with us, um, there are some children's bulletins. Look like this on the back table so they can grab those. There are also some red bags hanging at the back of the sanctuary with some crayons and activities and things of that nature. So we want you to know those are available. Good morning. Yeah, happy Mother's Day. It's good to see you here. You know, some of you look at me strange each year on Mother's Day. I, I even tell, I tell, of course, all of our mothers happy Mother's Day when I see them. But I tell a lot of the men as well, I say, happy Mother's Day. And they say, kind of look at me and say, I'm not a mother. I say, well, you've got a mother. Happy Mother's Day. You know, it's a good day for all of us. We celebrate uh, the gift that mothers are that God has given to us. And so we're thankful for that. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 42. This morning, if you're with us and a guest, I know some of you may be, you're here for Mother's Day. You've come to be with your, your mom to celebrate the day, and we're thankful to have you with us. Uh, I'll say that you, you picked a good Sunday, one, because it's Mother's Day, but also uh, it's a rare treat, the sermon this morning. The, the text we're going to look at covers a, a large section of Genesis uh, in the 40s. We're going to cover a couple of chapters. I'm not going to read all of them. I will summarize some of the text. This is more of an overview sermon. But here's, here's kind of the really interesting and exciting thing about this morning's text. is We are looking in an Old Testament text, but we're in this Old Testament text going to get to see multiple themes that remind us of the gospel and that remind us of the work that Christ has done on our behalf. So we're going to see sacrifice, we're going to see forgiveness, we're going to see God providing for His own people, and we're going to get to see that from Genesis 42 through 45. And so that's a rare treat, I think, to be able to see all of those themes compiled in one text in the Old Testament. So I'm thankful to be able to look at it with you. Let me set it up for those that haven't been here the last couple of weeks or those that have forgotten where we were last week. I know sometimes those weeks get long. Last thing that we saw, Joseph has kind of gone through most all of the rough patches that we think about being uh, kidnapped by his brother, sold into slavery, thrown in prison, forgotten, betrayed. All those things have taken place. And now he's interpreted Pharaoh's dreams that God had sent him. He has given this great plan and he's been promoted to being second in rank in all of Egypt. So he's this, this high-ranking governor and he's in charge of the grain sales. If you remember this story, even if you haven't been with us, there, there were seven years of really good produce and crop growing. And so they knew that after those seven years, there were going to be seven years of famine. God had told them that in the dream. And so they stored up all kinds of grain. And people from all over the world are having to come to Egypt to buy this grain. And they all have to go see Joseph. He's the man that's running this side of the business. So today, we're going to look in Genesis 42, and the beginning of our text is going to show us a special set of visitors that come to Joseph to buy grain. Look with me, beginning in verse 1. Genesis 42, 1 says, When Jacob, well, that's Joseph's father, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. 
Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. All right, so if you've been with us, you've seen just the deep richness of this story of Joseph's life, of the, the work that God's been doing, how we're able to see I think really a lot of us just a picture of what feels like our life of these really difficult times that we've gone through that we we can't understand and we don't know what's happening. But the promise is that no matter what we're dealing with, God is with us. He's not left us. He's not forgotten us. Not only is he with us, but he has a plan for us. And, And he's working out all of these things that seem so terrible to be for our good. And so we've seen that playing out from this 10,000 foot view. And so here, this deeply rich story just gets even more interesting because Joseph, no longer in a pit, no longer in prison, as this high ranking official, sees his 10 brothers, the 10 brothers that kidnapped him, the 10 brothers that threw him into a pit, several of them voting to kill him the ones that sent him to Egypt, it appeared, these brothers that had hated him and been jealous of him, that had been so evil towards him, standing before him, bowing down completely at the mercy of Joseph. If he gives them grain, they will have grain and live, and if he does not, they will not and they will die. Right? And, and the, the amazing thing about it is, now it's been over 20 years. The best calculation I saw, it's probably been about 22 years since they last saw Joseph. He is likely dressed as a high-ranking Egyptian here, so they do not recognize him, but he knows exactly who they are. And so this, this story, as we're seeing it play out, is just so rich and so beautiful. So I just want you for just a moment to stop and try to imagine this from Joseph's point of view. Right? One, the dream that God, the dreams that God had sent him when he was a young man, right? He he had told his brothers, I had this dream, and sometimes it was celestial bodies, and sometimes it was haystacks, but the dreams all played out this way. Mine arose higher than all the rest, and all of yours bowed down to me. Right? And they said, what are you talking about? You know, you don't know what you're doing. They were mad, they were jealous, they were angry. And now he sees these brothers, 22 years later, bowing down before him. He has the chance here to exact the revenge that he's probably thought about. I I think sometimes probably when he was in the pit, when he was uh, in in an Ishmaelite caravan, bound as a slave to be sold, when he was in prison, he probably thought about what, what it would be like if you ever had this chance for his brothers to, to meet up with them again. So there's just this surreal moment for him. And so we're told here that he asked them questions. And he asked multiple questions. And, and one question that he specifically asks is, is my, or to these men, is your father still alive? And do you have any other brothers? And he finds out his dad is still alive. And he finds out that his little brother Benjamin is still alive. So here's what he does. He says, listen, 
I'm not, I'm not helping you guys unless you go get your little brother. He, he comes up with this whole plan. I think you're spies. The only way I believe that you're not spies is if you go get your brother and bring him back here. So he sends some grain with them, but he keeps one of them. Simeon, he keeps him as a prisoner. I'm not sending all of you back. This brother staying here is a captive until you go get your little brother and bring him back. So they still don't know who this man is. They just think he's this mean man in Egypt. So he sends them home. Go get your brother. And they get there and they tell their dad. They say, Jacob, you've got to send Benjamin. We've got to have Benjamin. He's got to go back. Simeon's a captive. He's stuck in Egypt. They're not going to let him go. And he says, absolutely not. Look with me at his reply later here in chapter 42. Genesis 42, the very last verse, verse 38, gives us Jacob's reply to this request. But he said, my son shall not go down with you. For his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. What's he saying there, bring down my gray hairs with sorrow? He's saying, I would die from grief. He's saying, you remember your other brother, Joseph? He's dead. Because again, he doesn't know. They've never told him for all these years, for over 20 years, he has hurt and ached because of the loss of his son. And he thinks Joseph is dead. And now they're saying, send Benjamin with us. And he says, if you took Benjamin and he died too, I would die. I could not handle the grief that would happen, that would come upon me. And you think, man, he's got ten other sons. What's the deal here? But if you remember, Jacob originally had two wives, Leah and Rachel. And Leah, he was kind of tricked into marrying, but Rachel, Rachel was the love of his life. This was the lady that he wanted to marry, that he wanted to build a family and life with. And he and Rachel only had two kids together. Joseph, who he thinks is dead, and Benjamin. And he's saying, guys, listen, with Rachel, I had two kids. One of them's already dead. Now you're asking me to send the other one with you to Egypt, to a man that's kept one of your brothers captive, and who, who seems very egregious. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But eventually, you know what happens? They run out of grain. Joseph had sent them with some grain, but that grain only lasts so long. And so he relents, and he says, take, take Benjamin. Go back to Egypt. We've got to have more grain. If not, we're all going to starve to death, including Benjamin. So they go down, and, and there's another... Look, Joseph, he's thinking about these things. And there's this another, another really clever ruse, but this is how it ends up, just for shortening the story for us this morning. This is how it ends up. He says, hey, I'm going to let ten of you go, but I'm keeping another prisoner. This time I'm keeping Benjamin. I'm keeping the little brother. The little brother that their dad just said, if you take him and he doesn't come home, I will die of a broken heart. I literally could not handle it. And now this man who they don't know who he is has said, I'm keeping this little brother as a slave for me, as a captive, as a prisoner here. The rest of you go home. And this next speech that we're going to see in Genesis chapter 44. Turn over to chapter 44. This is so moving. This is Judah. Judah is one of the brothers. This is one of Benjamin's older brothers. 
And he kind of pulls Joseph to the side and says, Hey, man, can I talk to you for just a moment? And I want you to see what he says here. This is a lengthy piece, but it's worth it to listen to it this morning. Genesis 44, beginning in verse 18. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down if our youngest brother goes with us. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. And I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces. And I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up with the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, listen to this. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. What does Judah say here? Judah gives him the whole backstory. Now, you have to remember, this isn't just some governor in Egypt. This is Joseph. Joseph has not heard the rest of this story. He was on a caravan headed to Egypt to be sold as a slave. And now, for the first time, he hears what happened when they went back home. And they told their dad what had happened. And he hears him saying, My dad had two sons from this wife. And one has left him and he's never gotten over it his entire life. Joseph's hearing this for the first time. The grief that his dad has dealt with for years and years because he's been gone. And now he's also seeing this changed man because Judah. This is the same Judah, if you've been reading through Genesis, the same Judah that in chapter 37, he's the one that hatched the plan. Hey, let's don't kill him because if we kill him, we get nothing for him. Let's sell Joseph. Let's sell him because then we can make some money. Judah had the plan to sell him as a slave. Judah, in chapter 38, went into a woman for hire for physical gratification. This is the same Judah who's now standing here saying, not sell somebody into slavery, not do whatever's good for me. He's saying, take me and let him go. Judah loves Benjamin so much and he loves his father so much. They says, take me instead. I will stay here as a slave for you if you'll just let my brother go. 
And point one this morning is this. True love leads to sacrifice. True love leads to sacrifice. Now, again, it's Mother's Day. And and every mother and every father here knows the sort of love that I'm talking about here. Right, in particular, we can highlight things that, that mothers do. Mothers that, that have carried children in their womb for nine months, right, for, for that period of time have given up comfort and have given up a lot of other things in order to, to bring these children healthy into the world. Who not only for nine months give up some comfort and things, but right, sleep and and peace of mind, and all sorts of other things for years and years, and who sacrifice, and who give up their time, and who give up what they want in order to care for these children because of the love they have for them. It's because they truly love these children. And when you truly love someone, you're willing to sacrifice for them. We see that here in Judah, who loves his father and who loves his brother. We see that in mothers. And, of course, the epitome of this is seen in the gospel. Right, this is why I was saying we get to see this beautiful reminder of Christ's work here in the Old Testament. We see this reminder that Jesus, who came and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, who, who became our sin, who took the punishment for our sin, who died so that we don't have to die, did it because he loves us. That resounds throughout the New Testament because of his love for us. He did much what we see Judah here. Judah says, take me and let him go. And Jesus says, I will die so they can live. See this beautiful picture of sacrifice. And I don't think that we, in reading the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, can see someone saying, take me and let them go and not think about Christ. So I pray this morning that we're reminded of the deep, deep, amazing love that God has for us. Here in these words of Judah. But the picture of of amazing love and unexpected things doesn't just stop here with Judah saying, Hey, let Benjamin go and keep me as a a servant, as a slave here. It it continues in the next verse in chapter 45 where we see Joseph's response. So what is he going to say to that? He's just heard for the first time how sorrowful his dad's been because he thinks he's dead. He's heard Judah say, Take me and let him go. What happens next? Look in verse 1, Genesis 45, 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. The first amazing picture of love that we see in this text today is Judah saying, take me, let him go free. And the second one that we see is here, whenever Joseph finally, he, he can't hold out anymore, he can't keep the straight face, he sends all of his servants out, but even folks in houses around can hear him weeping as he hears these things, as he thinks on all of these things, and yet he doesn't attack his brothers. 
He doesn't berate his brothers. No, what he does is he comforts his brothers. He forgives his brothers. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. In other words, Joseph says this to his brothers who were evil, who were mean, who, who wanted to harm him, who hated him. That's the words that are used in Scripture, who were jealous of him. What he says to them is, it's okay, I don't want you to worry. Brothers, I don't want you to be scared or fearful. I don't want you to, to be upset. Because although you didn't know it, this has all been part of God's plan. And Joseph lovingly forgives these brothers. And point two this morning is this. True love leads to forgiveness. And man, this kind of forgiveness is, is far beyond me. I have not seen this in people around me. I've not had the reason to display this kind of love. But I'm talking about somebody who... Most of them wanted to literally kill you, not figuratively speaking here. They literally wanted to kill you. That's how bad they hated you. And the ones that didn't want to kill you just wanted to sell you for money because your life meant nothing to them. To then meet up with those guys again and comfort them and forgive them and to care for them, that's a type of love that is, that is beyond what most of us see at any point in time here on this earth. But again, when we think about the most, most perfect example of that, it's Christ, right? Jesus, who, who says to us, I know what you've done. I know who you are. I know how much you've disregarded my teachings. Right? I can quit saying you. I can say me. I know that I have sinned. I know that I have wronged God over and over Countless times, sometimes knowingly, right? I think you can probably identify. Sometimes I knew that what I was doing was the wrong thing, and I did it anyway. But you know what Christ says? He says, I know you did, but I still love you enough that I'm going to forgive you. Not only am I going to forgive you, I'm going to sacrifice myself so you can be forgiven. That's a type of love that is unmatched, even by the love of mothers. And you want to talk about forgiving my mom. She's not here this morning because she's at church with her mom. You want to talk about having to forgive somebody over and over. Just imagine if I would have been your son, right? Wasn't always a preacher. Just put it like that. But it doesn't match the love of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ. Again, here we just see these beautiful themes that, that here show us a picture that echo all throughout Scripture. There's one last thing that I want you to, and I really believe this is the main point of this text. These things I didn't want to miss because they're so beautiful. But just a couple more verses. I want you to see this, what I think is the main point here. Look back at verse 5. I'm going to start there where we just left off. 45.5. He says to his brothers, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Give you the last point and then we'll talk about it. Point three, God truly loves and provides for his own. 
God truly loves and provides for his own in a special way, right? We talk about this often here. It's the only Hebrew word that you'll probably ever hear me say, but it's that word has said it's God's covenant love, his promised love that's for his people and only for his people that never ends and that he never breaks. Here we see a reflection of this kind of love where, where last week we talked about, right? We couldn't see it at the beginning. Why, why would God let Joseph be kidnapped? Why would God let him be sold into slavery? Why would God let Potiphar's wife wrongfully accuse him? Why would God let him stay in prison for all these years? We couldn't see it. We didn't know what was going on until we could, and then we did know what was going on. And we see that God had, had put him in Egypt in just this place so that he'd come to this position, and I believe millions... Of people are saved because of because all of the land of Egypt are kept alive because of the work that he's doing here. And we see now all of the promised land, all of Canaan, all the people in Egypt, all the people in Canaan that are kept alive are kept alive because God had raised him to this position. Because God had led him here, right? God had this plan all along. He knew exactly what he was doing. But then we see here that really... Really, when you boil the plan down to its, its simplest form, God did all of that and brought him here. And yes, lots of Egyptians, and yes, lots of other Canaanites were saved, but this was God's plan all along. He was doing all of this to save His people. Not just a bunch of people, to save His people. That's what verse 7 says. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant. What does that mean? It's a, a group of survivors. A group of his people to make sure that the lineage of Abraham would continue on. Because if, if all of Joseph's family and all of Jacob's family die because of this famine, then you know what? Then God broke a promise to Abraham. Because God promised Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed through one of his descendants. That's a promise that the Christ was coming from Abraham's line. And if they all die right here, God messed up. God broke a promise. But we see again, God never breaks a promise. And he had this plan. And so Joseph is kidnapped and betrayed and sold into prison and, and meets this cupbearer and this baker and interprets their dreams. And then Pharaoh has these crazy dreams about skinny cows and fat cows. And you say, what's going on? What's happening here? And it was all a part of God's plan to save his people. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we forget the wisdom and understanding that God's operating with. Sometimes we forget the power and ability that God has. But I pray that we never, ever forget the love that God has for us. Because you may, you may not know how He could do this. Or you may not know what He's doing, but know this, He's doing it because He loves you. When we are His through faith in Jesus Christ, the promise is that He's working out all things for our good. It's a promise. And we see it playing out throughout this story of Joseph. So we see these beautiful things. Sacrificial love. And I know we usually like to think of ourselves as the hero, at least if you're like me, you used to like to be the hero. But I want you to remember today that... that most of the time when it comes to Scripture, we're, we're not the hero. We're not Judah saying, oh, let the boy go and take me instead. No, we're Benjamin saying, I need somebody to intercede for me or I have no hope. 
And Jesus is the one that's in the role saying, take me instead. Right? We like to think of ourselves as the one that's doing the forgiving, but brothers and sisters, today, we're the ten brothers that need to be forgiven. We're the ones that have done wrong over and over and over. And we're also the ones that are like Joseph, living lives where we look around and say, I have no idea how this could be for good. I have no idea how God would allow this, but just know this. Even if you can't see it, the promises are still true, that he still loves you, and he's still working out things for your good. So this morning, as we think about these things, I pray that, that you can't look, as a Christian that's been saved by grace through faith, that you can't look at these sort of themes in Scripture and not think about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. The way that He loves you and cares for you. The way that He has offered Himself for you. The forgiveness that He's extended to you. The way that He's provided for you in ways that you don't even know. And I pray this morning that we're just thankful. We're just thankful to the Lord. Thankful for who He is. That our faith is strengthened. That whatever we deal with this week, that we can deal with it more easily because of these truths. And that, that His love for you is just shining bright in your eyes this morning. So I want to invite you to stand. And this morning, I don't know how you need to respond to this text. Maybe, maybe it's that you've never recognized the love of God. You've never recognized how forgiveness has been available to you. And you want to talk to somebody about what it means to have faith and to be saved. And I would love to talk to you about that. Maybe this morning you're here and, and just in reading this, the way the Lord's worked on your heart is a recognition that you've been very selfish and that you never sacrificed for anybody. And maybe what that's starting to show you is maybe your love for others isn't where it needs to be. And you need to spend some time praying and asking God to allow you to love more deeply. Maybe it's the opposite, that you feel like that you need to forgive somebody. This would be a great time for you to stop and to just with without anywhere else you need to be to just pray and to ask God to help you to forgive somebody in your life. I don't know what he's doing. I know this, that God is good and his love for us is good. And there's some way for us to respond to this text. So as we sing this morning, you respond. You can pray or sing where you are. You can come to the altars down here. You can come and I'll pray with you. But you do what the Lord's leading you to as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of response.